The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk the trade today, Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. Arlen, we thank you for joining us here today and always look forward to having your insight here into what the markets are doing. And as we take a look here, both grain and livestock today, maybe not the best performance and finish we wanted to see on today, but overall, what did you get from the day's trade? Yeah, it was kind of a blasé, quiet day after some of the volatility we've had of late. But uh, still, even in that light, not really happy with what we saw. Um, we failed to really challenge some of the overhead chart resistance we saw. We're seeing the, the rally run out of momentum in, in Kansas City wheat. That's concerning. Um, we're still seeing that strength in Minneapolis with the planning delays that we have there. But soybeans tried to push higher, tried to get some follow-through buying, just unable to sustain that, and corn starting to break down. So overall, just really not too happy with the results that we had, even though the losses were rather quiet compared to what we've had lately. And, you know, you talk about grains, and I want to start here on soybean, because as you said, they were the ones that had a little bit of skip to their step when we first started the trade today and then closing there in the red. We've seen some huge export sales, including since 1997, these sales to Argentina, as well as some major sales to unknown. What's your take on that? Yeah, you're exactly right. The last time we shipped soybeans to Argentina, 1997, so over 20 years ago, and uh, both yesterday and today, we saw USDA announce um, uh, basically what amounted to 4.4 million bushels each day sold to Argentina. And it's uh, believed to go to a particular crusher down there who, who is a large crusher in the Argentine area, uh, crushes a lot of soybeans. Uh, and the information we've been able to garner is that they're seeing some pretty good crush margins, even after they pay the 8% tariff. Uh, that coming into Argentina, which the Mercosur countries uh, charge, Argentina and Brazil and other countries, uh, and, and paying the freight down there, they're still getting uh, crush margins at 80, 85 cents per bushel. So profitable for them to import soybeans. They've been pulling soybeans, Argentina has been, from Paraguay and believed to be pulling them from Rio Grande do Sul in southern Brazil as well. Trying to keep up, um, maintain their global market share as the world's largest exporter of soy meal. Um, you, would, you would think that that would have a more positive impact on the market. It certainly did not. You mentioned the sales to unknown destinations over a three-day period. Uh, those sales totaled uh, nearly 36 million bushels, 35.6 million to be exact, to unknown destinations. Uh, we've picked up chatter from the cash industry that some of that is soybean sold to Europe, but we believe most of it is to Chinese end users taking advantage of the price breaks whenever we get the volatility because of trade war talk and soybean prices that break lower, Chinese end users coming in and taking advantage of that and buying up. Arlen, do you think that these soybeans to export South America, obviously there's profit in it as well, but are they trying to insulate themselves if a trade war were to break out and they'd see China come in and really want to export those soybean byproducts, as well as it showing that their drought was a little more uh, extensive than previously thought in their harvest, and it's not that strong? 
Well, I'm sure that's a question a lot of people out there have. Uh, first of all, we need to emphasize that China, uh, a number of years ago, almost 20 years ago, switched from uh, buying soy meal to buying whole soybeans and supporting their own crush industry. So buy whole soybeans and crush them there. So what they need is whole soybeans. Uh, Argentina basically won't have any of that this year because the crushers, and Argentina is the world's largest export of soy meal support and supplying the rest of the world with soy meal largely, in addition to some coming from Brazil and from the United States. So their crush industry is trying to bid up for all the soybeans there. They won't have much to export. That leaves Brazil and the United States to basically meet the export demand for whole soybeans going to China, which is expected to be around 100 million metric tons over the next year. Uh, so in Argentina itself, I think buying it, they're just trying to maintain that market share on soy meal. The U.S. processors will get a little bit of that, but our processors are basically working at capacity already, so we really can't increase our crushing too much in order to meet that demand, and that leaves Brazil. Now, when the, the tariff battle started between the United States and uh, China, which has been a war of words mostly to this point, uh, Brazil thought they had a, a captive customer, and so their basis for whole soybeans really jumped. In fact, it jumped 50 cents that first day. It backed off after that, but it's been very volatile. Plus, farmers there got bowled up and quit selling, and they've had a lot of weakness in their currency, which has made them back off from selling as well. So that pushed the cost of soybeans there higher. So not only did it cost more for China to buy Brazilian soybeans, pushing them to the U.S. market, but it costs more for Argentine crushers to buy out of Brazil. And uh, so that's another reason they're coming up to the United States and buying soybeans that they can crush and sell soy meal then. Let's kind of switch gears here for a quick second and talk soybean anchors coming up on our future report. Do you think with the weather conditions we're seeing here with the spring wheat, those preventative plantings there, do you think that could switch over to some soybean anchors moving forward? Yeah, that's a real concern at this point because um, they ought to be planting spring wheat right now, and obviously they're far from doing so. Ground has froze a lot of snow over it. Uh, when you look at where the bulk of the spring wheat belt is, is that most of that area could go to corn or soybeans. So the question is, which will it go to? I think overall we're going to see a little bit of an edge towards soybeans. Uh, it depends on how early they're able to get in there, but I think by the time they're able to get in and they make the switch, what doesn't get planted is spring wheat. I think we'll probably see a little bit more of it go to soybeans than to corn. That's Arlen Suderman talking with us on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Arlen with INTLFC Stone. And right now we've hit on the big factors coming in this week. So far we're seeing large export numbers on soybeans. Somewhat of a dismal day overall in the trade, but really some factors coming behind that of maybe the bulls trying to catch his breath right now. We've still got livestock to discuss, plus some technical points that you're going to want to know, especially if you're looking at marketing currently. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Talking the trade today, Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. And in our previous segment, really focusing on soybeans, what was happening there in the outside markets with export numbers, the cash prices, and more. Now we kind of transition back over to corn. Somewhat of a, a boring day of trade, realistically, Arlen. But as we're starting to see here in the eastern portion of the U.S., we're seeing preventative planning delays. Do you think that's going to cut back on corn acres? 
answer your question. Right now, the market is assuming that they will get planted. The market assumes that the whole crop can be planted in about 10 days. That's not necessarily true, but that's kind of the phrase you hear a lot in the market. And so they're more worried about the month of May. Um, they don't really want to worry about it too much in the month of April. Now, as we get into next week, that 16- to 30-day outlook will look past the middle of May. And so at that point then, if that 16- to 30-day outlook is still looking cool and wet for the Midwest, then I think the trade starts to get nervous. And from a technical aspect, when you're looking here at the charts, corn's trying to bump up here, especially on these front months. $4 is always a number guys like to look at. But is that just a shade too far outside? Yeah, right now the real concern is the fact that we put in a high back on um, March the 13th for the May contract at 395 and a quarter. We came back up after collapsing lower uh, in late March. But on the 2nd of April, before all the trade war stuff really got heated up, we came back to 392 and a half. We couldn't make it back up to the 395 level. Dropped down, came back up and matched it again. Uh, and then yesterday, we're not able to move to a new high. So we're seeing a sell-off now. That's a little bit concerning. We had one high that the second high wasn't able to get up to that level. And then the third time we came up, we couldn't take out the second high. That shows a little bit of waning momentum to the upside. The December chart looks a little bit better on the new crop side, and I think part of that's because we do see better fundamentals for corn as we look longer term over the next year or two. Um, But I still think that we're vulnerable near term to some more weakness in this market as the trade kind of watches to see whether planning delays are going to be notable or not. And let's switch gears now over to wheat. We've touched on little pieces of it, but let's kind of dive into it. Kansas City wheat, seeing pretty good sell-off today in different contracts, but yet we we're, we're saw a cold snap last week. We've got cold again predicted coming up this weekend and drought-like conditions still in southwest Kansas panhandle of Oklahoma. What's your take on that market? You know, we've done a lot of damage to the crop. Um, the crop is way behind normal, which... Um, tends to suggest lower yields. Then you look at the effect of the drought and the freeze damage all the way uh, down into Kansas, Oklahoma, and the Texas panhandle, uh, and it looks like we're going to have a short crop. Uh, But uh, yesterday's USDA crop report reminded us that uh, hard red winter wheat surplus stocks from last year are still sitting at an eight-month surplus, two-thirds of a year of supply still in the elevator bins. And that's been rather sobering, and that's why wheat is really struggling to sustain a rally right now. So if we can start to eat up on these stocks, that may help. But are we kind of facing a global issue here where with recent talks between President Vladimir Putin and President Trump, U.S. and Russia, that ruble has really fallen off. Is that making the global market like Russian wheat more at the moment? Yeah, that's something a lot of people in the industry haven't noticed in the last few days. And we saw in about three days' time the Russian ruble lose about 14% of value uh, versus the dollar. Uh, Two things. That does make Russian wheat more affordable in the global market, undercutting us and hurting the wheat market, and one reason for weakness today. But it also means that the farmer there is saying, wow, we've got inflation troubles here. I don't think I want to convert my wheat to cash and see that cash lose value. And so it makes them hold back. So we're seeing supply start to tighten up at the port in Russia. Uh, longer term, this could end up kind of destabilizing the Russian economy. These last uh, sanctions put on by President Trump really seem to have done the trick on uh, 
putting the pressure on uh, President Putin. And then finally, Arlen, as we start to wind down here, livestock. Somewhat of a, an exciting day when they started. We saw some triple-digit gains kind of out front on hogs. That gave some confidence over in the cattle complex. But this cash hog didn't quite work out. The Fed Cattle Exchange only getting about five 600 heads sold. Overall, is that really kind of given some underlying weakness to our livestock trade? You know, we've had a good export business for pork and for beef so far this year. It's exceeded USDA expectations. Um, but we've had ample supplies, big supplies, and that's especially been the case for pork. But now we're entering into the period of time when we're having expanding supplies for cattle in the feedlots to be slaughtered as well. And so the question is, will that supply overwhelm that good demand? And uh, we are seeing a technical bounce in the markets right now and a little taking advantage of that. But how far can we go with those big supplies coming in? That's Arlen Suderman joining us today, INTLFC Stone. And Arlen, we thank you for joining us. We covered a lot of ground today and covered a lot of topics, both in the grains and on the livestock side. But really, from what somewhat of a slower day of trade, it's really been able to give traders and producers a time to catch their breath, analyze what's going on, and start to plan to make that next move. And you find that next move by listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.